My guest today is Carl Baldasso. And Carl, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a scenic designer, and I mostly work now in television production in the art department. I have uh, lived in New York City for 43 years. What else? I've known Laura forever, since high school. Yeah, those 43 <laughs> years started after Carl moved from Skokie, Chicago, where we both grew up, and uh, we've known each other since we were about 14, 15 years old. And uh, Carl is my guest today as he contracted the COVID virus and recovered. And we want to hear that story. And we're really grateful for you having agreed to share it, Carl. Thank you very much. Sure. I'm happy to be able to. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, Carl, you uh, sent me a timeline. And mm -hmm. I think that's a very easy way for us to sort of track your story i think the whole thing started on march 13th friday march 13th it was the it turned out to be the last day of production on my tv series Amsterdam. um we got an email from production saying at the end of the day they were shutting down meanwhile on this friday the 13th actually production all production in new york stopped theater stopped uh, uh, television production stopped film uh, films stopped it, the whole industry just stopped on the 13th in that afternoon we were visited by the director of the, the last episode that was being shot and he came to say goodbye and thanks for everything and um unfortunately it turns out that the following day they got symptoms of COVID 19. i, I think that that's when i was infected when you got the communication that production was shutting down, was there any explanation for that? We were doing a hospital show. We actually filmed in a hospital in Brooklyn. So they wanted us out of there because they wanted to take our floors. We had two floors that we shot in. They wanted to take those back. And they were, we think, beginning to get COVID-19 patients in the hospital. And so they just decided we have to just stop. So just as a reminder for all of us, COVID-19 was first reported in China in December of 2019. On the day Carl's production was shut down, March 13th, despite all we knew about the virus spreading out of control in China and Italy, no one I knew in the United States was practicing any of what we now call CDC guidelines social distancing, masks, etc. It wasn't until March 16th in the States, restaurants and school closings were just starting to be announced. Seriousness had not yet really set in for us. The first person I heard react in any serious manner was a friend's daughter who lived in the city, in New York City, showed up at her folks' house, my friend's house in New Jersey, Thursday, March 12th saying it was necessary to get out of the city, the city being so densely populated, this was a really in, urgent matter. My friend had a tennis date that weekend and at his daughter's insistence, he canceled. He wasn't planning to cancel, but she really was very distraught, insisted until he did cancel. And my friend had no trouble finding a substitute player for the tennis match, so it went on as usual. 
this was pretty much the American mindset on the weekend you had contact with someone you later learned was diagnosed with the virus. On your timeline, the next mention you make of significance is Thursday, March 19th. Right. That's when I, my, my symptoms began to develop. Um, I had a very little bit of scratchy throat. I was congested. It was difficult to breathe, take a deep breath. I think I had a fever, although at that time I didn't have a thermometer, so I wasn't really sure if I had a fever. Um, I had shortness of breath. If I walked across the room, I would pant a little. Um, and I had I had terrible muscle aches, joint aches. Um, just any movement was painful. And um, I lost my sense of smell and taste. I was not interested in eating, and when I ate anything, it just didn't taste right so um i thought well you you have covid19 you did think that this was all of those symptoms of covid19 that you had been reading about in the media sure yeah and i'm 66 um i also am overweight so i was more vulnerable because of my age because of my weight and because i have high blood pressure did you begin practicing any of the CDC guidelines at home? Do you live alone? No, I have a roommate. Well, yeah, I was staying in my room. I was wearing a mask, um, washing my hands all the time. Um, we got spray bottles of alcohol. So if I went into the bathroom and when I was finished, I would spray the spray the uh, sink knobs, spray the doorknobs, spray the light switch. And so from March 19th to the 27th, that is how you guys lived. Right. Now, I had received uh, through that week um, emails from my primary care physician's office. And they said, anybody who has um, mild to moderate symptoms of COVID-19, we don't think you should get tested because it's not going to change the clinical outcome. So I basically spent a week just treating the symptoms that I could. During these eight days, did the symptoms change? I don't really notice them changing. I didn't, I didn't feel like they were getting any worse, but I also don't think I felt like they were getting any better, which is why I sort of just went along with what the doc, the PCP doctor said, just take aspirin basically until I finally talked to my mother and she said, Oh, I really wish you would see a doctor and God bless your mom. God bless my mom. So I said, well, okay. I had heard from my union that our insurance company, insurance provider, uh, Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield was providing an online consultation service. And so I did that the after afternoon of the 27th. So about five o'clock she came on. And I told her uh, how, how about me. I was 66 and uh, uh, overweight and had high blood pressure and all that stuff. And then um, she said, okay, I hear you. And as I hear you speaking, I really hear a shortness of breath. And that worries me a lot. You need to be seen now. Did her reaction scare you? Well... Yeah, I don't, know if it was, I don't know if it was scary. Uh, no, it didn't scare me, but it it obviously convinced me to do something. Immediately, you were ready to do that. 
Yeah. Well, I'm, I would say I was a little reluctant, really. Can you tell me something about the reluctance? Nothing. Well, you know, who wants to go to the emergency room? Nobody wants to go to the emergency room for anything. My, my most immediate concern about going to the emergency room was that, well, I hope they admit me. Because if they don't admit me, I go to the emergency, get an ambulance, go to the emergency room, they don't admit you, then you have a whole insurance thing. You have to pay some whopping fee for not being admitted. So your mindset was more along practical lines than fear that you had this virus. Did you at any point feel like, I might die? I never really did. When I went into the hospital, I thought, okay, this is where I need to be. They will fix me. I will get better. So it's Friday, March 27th. And what time did you arrive at the hospital? About six. They put me in a little booth area, a little cubby hole on my stretcher uh, in the ER. It was actually in a very interesting spot because I could, I was right across from the bullpen where all the nurses and doctors come and talk and get their forms and blah, blah, blah. And I could see across the bullpen to other booth with people on the other side. So they didn't secure your space. Not in the front, just on the sides. Did they change your clothes? Make any adjustment in what you were wearing? No, I was wearing my street clothes all night long. They took off my shoes. Um, and over the period of the night, they came in, they took drew blood. They gave me a chest x-ray. They gave me the COVID test where they stick this thing up your nose and pop it around. Yeah, it was that was kind of a little painful, a little unpleasant. Then they finally came in at six o'clock and said, okay, we're admitting you. That relieved my mind a little bit about the practicality of it. So I thought, okay, great. Um, and they brought me up to my room. Did they also say to you, you tested positive? Yes, I think they did. Did they begin any medication? I think only when I got up to the room. Neither did they begin oxygen, nothing. Well, I, yes, I think once I was up in the room. But in the ER, no oxygen. So you were admitted at Lenox Hill uh, at 6 a.m. on the 28th. Right. Was this a private room? No, semi-private. had a one roommate. So he, was there somebody in the room already? Yes. How did they prepare you for being in the presence of another person who had COVID-19? They didn't really do anything specific. They just put me to bed and, and they put the oxygen on me. Okay. Were you ever intubated? No, God, no. So there was never a ventilator used on you? No. Like you said, thank God. Thank goodness, yeah. So you come into this room and there's another person in there. How did that feel? Well, I didn't particularly mind having a roommate. You know, that's what happens in the hospital. But it turns out that this roommate was like not in good shape. Um, after a couple of days of him being very noncompliant, he would keep getting out of bed. And it came to a head when he got up out of bed and started peeing on the floor, like into my half of the room, uh, past the curtain, peeing, and then he fell, slipped and fell into this pile of pee, and it was like a nightmare. 
So uh, I'm ringing the, the call bell and the nurses came in and um, they eventually intubated him. They, they knock him out, they stick the tube down and they carried him to the intensive care unit. In your own mind, how did you explain his behavior? I, I, I can't, I really can't. If it was because he was uh, not getting enough oxygen and, and or not retaining enough oxygen and th that his mind just started um, going or it just, I, 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 I absolutely can't explain what his story was. Well, thank God they got him out of there and got him to where he needed to be as your... Yeah, but, you know, that's the worst thing is to, is to get on the ventilator because much harder to get off of that. And so once this gentleman was removed from the room, now you're alone. Uh, did, for, about, did... for about an hour. And they brought in a new roommate. So during this time that you're in the hospital, what medicines did they put you on? Well, I was on this cocktail, that this sort of controversial cocktail, which is something called Plaquenil. It's an anti-malarial drug. Plaquenil combined with azithromycin. They also gave me twice a day, they hung an intravenous bag of vitamin C twice a day, and once a day they gave me an IV bag of thiamine, vitamin B. Just one day out of the whole week, they also hung a bag of magnesium, and they also gave me once a day Lovenox, an injection in your stomach, which is a blood thinner to prevent clotting. They worry that as you, if you just lie around all day, you, you, you can get blood clots. Was there no Moving you, no physical therapy? Well, no, no. My only exercise was to walk to the bathroom. Were you and the roommate sharing a bathroom? Well, we were, except I don't think he, I ever saw... The The first guy never used the bathroom. No, the he second, used the floor. <laughs> just the floor. <laughs> the second guy always used a bedpan. Did you have any dietary restrictions? I, I asked if I could have soup, and they said no. Wait a minute. They said no soup for you. No soup for you. <laughs> but why well, not? Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. It was kind of weird. And then they started just sending stuff. If they sent me a chicken leg with a, a chicken kind of thigh with a bone in it one more time, I was going to, like, scream. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so th during this week, you were in from March 28th to April 3rd. Were you in communication with the outside world, family, friends? How were you passing yeah, the time? With the phone, well, thank God I had a, my cell phone with me and a charger. Um, in the hospital, there was television, but television, plain basic cable on television is so unwatchable that it's like, <laughs> it was terrible. What did people say or do that supported you, and on the other hand, what did people say or do that was really annoying that you wish they hadn't? Well, you know, everybody's concerned and everybody wants to know how you are. So the, they ask you, how are you doing? And 
can I, is anything, anything I can do for you? And so, and so you, you know, you, you answer them, but it's, it's, it's just not, not fun to keep having to say the same thing over and over again. I'm glad that you understood. We needed to be reassured. Oh yeah. No, I, I understand. I, I, I know, you know, I, I tried to keep my mother abreast of things because she of course was panicking terribly. So you're in the hospital for a week. When were you first aware of feeling some sense of a corner being turned? I don't know. I, I guess maybe around Wednesday, they were reducing the amount of oxygen that they were giving me. So, you know, that would have indicated you're getting better. I think I heard you say, I never really felt terrible. Well, I never, no, I didn't ever really feel terrible. I never really thought, oh God, you're in bad shape. Wow. You're going to, you're going to not make it. It's surprising for me. And maybe that's the effect on me of what's getting reported in the media sounding like I'm going to die. Your experience is not that. Not that, but yeah, I don't know. That could just be me. Uh, that, that that I have a more positive outlook on things, or just, or maybe, or maybe I am just um, unconsciously de- in denial about it. I don't think I am that. I think it is more. I, I'm just more upbeat about it. I, I I always was focusing on a bright side as opposed to succumbing to a dark side. To hear that this thing is not experienced just one way right fear anxiety i'm gonna die your story is so not that but it's curious because it's so it varies so wildly i mean there's people like me who get through it and are um fine basically past it and then there are some people who get sick and in a day they die. It is all over the map. It's all over the map. So I don't know if, you know. Now that you've had it, are you are you immune to getting it again? I don't know if they know that really. I did sign up for a pro- some program called the Plasma Project. They want to hear from people who have gotten over COVID-19 and are on the on the upswing side and back end side of it and they want to um take blood and test the plasma to see if there are antibodies to the disease in it. Were you given any sort of medication to take home? Are you following any particular diet or protocol after, you know, after the fact? No. When were you told you were going to be transferred from the hospital? About an hour or two before they did it, about four or five o'clock on Friday afternoon. April 3rd. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what did they tell you? We're transferring you to the Javits Center to continue recovery. How did it feel to you to realize I'm going there? Well, I, I was I was a little reluctant. I would have rather have stayed in the hospital, you know, because I felt I was getting good treatment there and I, I would rather be in the hospital than in this exhibit hall and it turns out that this exhibit hall was just 
not pleasant. All the pictures that you see of the Javits Center are from the top, looking down at all these um, booths, rooms. What you don't really see is what it looks like when you're lying in the bed. You're looking up at this ceiling, this convention center ceiling, lights, lights, which are on all night long. There's no ceiling. You're looking at lights all night long. <laughs> it was so unrestful that it was impossible. The people were all very nice, but I think that ultimately they were tremendously disorganized. For example? Well, for example, the, the, one of the goals of my being there was to take myself, get myself off of the supplemental oxygen. And they finally turned it off Sunday night. They just turned it off. And my blood oxygen continued to be pretty good. But Monday and Tuesday, people would still come into the room and go look at the machine to see what level it was at. And I said... <laughs> They turned it off on Sunday. Don't you have a record of that? Why are you coming in here to look at this machine that has been off for two days? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Oh my gosh, that had to be a bit aggravating, disturbing on some level. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And they say, and there's a test we can take to see what the level of the virus is, if it's still what kind of viral load you have? And I said, so will you give me that test? And they said, well, no, we don't do that here. So it's like, so you have this test, but you don't do the test because you don't have the facility to do testing. But the worst, the worst was when I finally was allowed to go home. Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, about 2.30, they said, the transportation will be here in a few hours. And finally, at like 10.30, this nurse pokes her head and she says, oh, you know, we don't send people home from here. We transfer them to the comfort medical ship, but we don't send them home. I said, what? You won't send me home? You've like kidnapped me now. You won't let me go home till, till 8 o'clock in the morning when finally this case manager comes in and says, I'm really sorry. I I have emailed the dispatcher. I said, you emailed the dispatcher? You don't even call the dispatcher? You do this by email? You have got to send me home. And indeed, 10 o'clock, I'm finally home. I really felt like they had betrayed me and simply lied to me for a whole day. And that was, that really was upsetting. And these were professionals in, in the medical field. These were not volunteers. It's, it's a military-run, FEMA-run operation. When you got back into your street clothes, had they been laundered? No. <laughs> no. And what was the best moment? There was one particular nurse at the hospital, Deandra, who was just great whenever she was around i felt oh you're you're good you're in good hands she was honest with me one day they came and they took my door off its hinge and it disappeared it disappeared for like two hours the door there was no door on the room and it came back after two hours and they had cut in a little sliver glass window 
about six inches wide, maybe 18 inches high above the doorknob, theoretically, so that the nurses could just look in and see what's going on. So when this happened, I said to Deandra, so does that window help you? And she says, I can't see a thing. It's too small. It's over on the side. It's like dark glass. It's ridiculous. So I appreciated her honesty about it all. Has this experience changed you? I'm a little skittish about going out. I'm We're in the club. I'm I'm deciding whether or not to send for an absentee ballot for the primary election and for the general election. Would that be the first time you voted absentee? Um, yeah, I think so. So today is Saturday, April 11th, and you came home Wednesday morning, April right. 8th. Right. And how is your roommate doing? Do they show any symptoms? No, never, never showed any symptoms. You've been home three days. Uh-huh. Are you realizing any lingering after effects? Well, I'm still having a little trouble breathing. I still don't quite think I have my taste back fully. I drank a Diet Pepsi and it just tasted off. Or I ate some peanuts and I thought, it doesn't quite taste right. Um, In addition to Deandra, have you got any shout out? The two AMT ladies that transferred me from Lenox Hill to the Javits Center, Jordan and Hannah, two ladies from Michigan who had driven out here to help. They were waiting for some paperwork. They like waited two hours for this paperwork. Eventually they said, we have to go. So then they, I don't know, they went into a frenzied calling the social work department. And they, they some, somehow they found this pile of papers on this lonely computer in the hallway. And they, they could take me. But they were they were just sweet. They were just nice young women who I'm, you know, very grateful to, to of all of these people who are coming to New York to help. The EMTs that took me home finally from the Javits Center had come from California. And and, and everybody says, Oh, it's my first time in New York and I say, Well, <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't um, base your uh, uh, impression of it on what you're seeing here because <laughs> There's like nobody on the streets, you know, you go to kind of Times Square and there's nobody there. So that's not what it's really like. <laughs> but, you know, I hope you enjoy yourself, but this is really not exactly what New York is like. Um, but they said, well, you know, it's exciting to be here. So. And if you had a message you wanted to leave our listeners with, aside from this is not what New York is, <laughs> is there anything else you might like to share Stay home and let this all pass because uh, you don't want to get sick. My experience was not terrible, but I was lucky. Um, so grateful that you let your mom tell you to make that call and you did what you had to do. Thank thanks. You. Thanks. And thanks to your mom for making chicken soup, lots of all soup, which I'm really looking forward to getting. You'll have it ASAP. No rush.